Well, you've heard my takes, but defense, recruiting, latest news, everything about Oregon football. We'll get a different perspective today with Ryan Winter. Sports Chat 503. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thanks for making this your first listen or your first view. If you're watching on YouTube every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, subscribe, wherever you're listening to or watching the show. It's the Oregon Ducks, by the way, not the Anaheim Ducks. Had that uh, cross-up happen more than a couple times on, on Twitter with people looking for NHL insight, and I have to regretfully inform them that I don't know anything about hockey, but the guy that I've got on the show today, Ryan Winter. He is at SportsChat503 on Twitter and on YouTube as well, talking about the Ducks. I have a feeling that you know something about hockey. You just, you just I'm, wa- you know I'm literally cool. watching the Rangers right now. Rangers, <laughs> dude, it's the second. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I, I chose the Rangers as my hockey team for whatever reason, and they haven't had a tremendous amount of success. But, yeah, they're winning right now game seven, uh, up two in the second period. <laughs> that's awesome yeah but i really I, it took me a long time to learn the whole red line blue line all that other sort of yeah, stuff. yeah hockey on, hockey well, rules are, hockey, they're, yeah they're they're funky they're they're funky <laughs> a little bit but i mean i think every every sports rules are funky if you did a deep dive on the rules of football you would see like boy that's really weird why exactly does that ha- how does this happen but it's just normal to us because we we grew up with it but let, let's let's switch switch over to to football here because there's no oregon hockey team at least that I'm aware of there actually uh, is there actually is there's a little buzz there we can get into that next time okay yeah that'll, that'll be for next time but I've been talking about Table. the defense on on here a good amount Ryan and I, I think there are areas where I have no questions at all and I feel really really good linebackers interior defensive line then there are some question marks all in all but I, I think from a schematic perspective you're getting an upgrade from Tim DeRoyder, who I was not a huge fan of. And I think the stats kind of kind of backed me up on that. Like he did not perform, I think, the way that we were thinking he would when he came over from Cal and Justin Wilcox, who's a great defensive mind in the Pac-12 conference. And I think that nationally he does a really, really good job. And I take him as my defensive coordinator any day of the week. But I don't think that one quite panned out. So I think you've got a schematic upgrade with Tosh Lupoy and Dan Lanning, who have won national championships as defensive coordinators. But as you think about the the departures the defense has had and then the new coaches coming in and the players who, you know, kind of project as starters right now, what, what are your expectations for the defense in year one? I think the defense is going to be the, the team to watch. I think the defense is obviously everybody is excited about the, you know, new quarterback, new offense, what they're going to see there. But I think the defense has the best players on the team, the most consistency and the, the most depth. I think you, you're going to see a tremendous amount of, of, creativity. I think the key thing is how to attack with the players that you have. I think Dan Lanning and like you just said, these guys are coming in. A lot of these guys on a coach rebuild do not have the cupboard filled like this. And Mario said it on his way out that the cupboard is filled. They're young. They're hungry. Boom. I'm out. You should feel good about that. The next guy's going to do better. And I think that's the case on defense this year. I agree with you with Ruder's uh, defense. It felt like there were there was some creativity, but it was kind of head scratching creativity, you know. Like uh, I was, I was okay a little bit with maybe dropping Kayvon back in coverage, but it felt like it was out of necessity because you couldn't cover any tight ends in the middle. 
There was some yeah. weird stuff that they didn't really ever, uh, you know, address maybe or had the change of, of scheme from first half to second half. They continue to get burned on the same stuff. So I just hope that they just have more creativity and they just really bring it with these athletes because you've got guys like Justin Flo who have got the hugest chip on their shoulder. They're ready to play. They've been held back. And then you got guys like Noah Sewell who played so much football that they're looking to just kind of continue to do whatever they can to get to that next level and uh, and do it to the best of their ability. It's going to be crazy to see both those guys play next to each other with the with a, a, such a strange variety of their careers, and they came in in the same recruiting class. Yeah, I, I think with Flo, I, I'm really bummed. I was at the time, and I am now, that we didn't get to see Flo, Sewell, and Thibodeau on the field at the same time. I mean, what, a few snaps in the Fresno State game? Because Thibodeau got hurt early, and it was kind of in and out, and then Flo was – it was just – those are three of the most talented players Oregon's ever had defensively. And that's saying something like, I think if you put together an all time Oregon defense, Kayvon Thibodeau is obviously on there oh, yeah. flow. It's a, maybe a little too early in his career, but he has the potential to do that. I think Sewell's probably the middle linebacker. Any older Oregon fans might be, uh, might be hopping in the YouTube comments to say, well, what about this guy who I didn't see play? Cause I'm, you know, obviously a little bit on the younger side sure. and, and such, but I like where the defense is at. I, I think that they've got a couple holes. I, I I think safety is the biggest question mark. I think corner less so because I'm I'm really high on Gonzo. I think Christian Gonzalez is going to slide in and take a step forward from what he was a season ago, which was all Pac-12 honorable mention. I think he's looked really good in the spring, and I think he, he's got some great coaches there as well who are going to help him. The other corner slot, maybe it's Dante Manning. I hope it is. He's got the high ceiling from a physical gift standpoint. Maybe it's Avante Dickerson. Maybe it's you know a transfer they bring in closer to the season or whatever. But my biggest question is the safeties. You know, I I think you lose Verone McKinley and you're probably going to be running the four two five that Lanning had at Georgia. But your two back end safeties, I think Brian Addison and Triquez Bridges show some great things. But the, the thing I worry about with them, Ryan, there's just not that much experience there. And there's not a lot of depth behind them. You know, this is this is a uh, position that could easily get injured. And I, I agree. I think Brian Addison's the guy who I'm really excited to watch for this year. Uh, you know, you, I think I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of depth in certain places, and I think there's a lot of creativity on how to switch guys around. So I think there's going to be a lot of moving parts there. Um, I really like the idea that uh, you know you have Jamal and and Bennett, you know, back there to be able to kind of hang. Uh, a, a little bit, but I, I do, I do think that you're going to have to really lean on some young guys who just don't have as much experience, uh, you know, other than, other than Bennett really, and, and Christian Gonzalez now coming in, uh, and Jamal, you don't have a lot of guys with experience. Steve Stevens has a lot of experience, but has, has battled injury as well. So I just think that, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement for some of the young guys. And also there is some guys who are really looking at, this is their chance to do it. I mean, Steve Stevens just graduated. He's feeling great. So let, let's make the next move here and, and let's see what you can get. Yeah, I, I I love Bennett Williams and Jamal Hill. I'm a big fan of both. And I think if you're going to run a defense, which is what Landing ran at Georgia, 4-2-5, which is what we were running with Andy Avalos as well, who I think is really, really sharp. And I think we really saw that because the talent that DeRuder had was maybe not quite at Avalos's level when he was there, but it was pretty darn close. You definitely had a, a more well-rounded cave on Thibodeau to anchor your defense. And I think, you know, I just, I, I was a huge fan of Andy Avalos at, at, and still am at, as a defense coordinator, head coach kind of remains to be seen and such, but 
sure. if you're going to have five DBs on the field at all times, you kind of have to have a hybrid player, right? I think Jeffrey Bassa can, can sort of be that though. It looks like they're going to slide him down to, to linebacker, but he could be, you know, part of the five guys on the back end. Cause he's played some strong safety and Jamal Hill, Bennett Williams. They, they're not just DBs. They're big. You know, I feel like they can blitz. I feel like they can come up and be more than sufficient in run support as well. Like I think they do a lot of really good things. And speaking of good things, uh, the recruiting trail victories are they, they just keep coming. They just keep coming. I want Ryan's thoughts. But first, I want to remind you, this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto with the ever increasing numbers of makes and models. It's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure? often pointless or intimidating questioning just go to rockauto.com you can use say, you can save time and money it's a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com All right, Ryan, it's uh, off season, so to speak, but the news uh, is always churning, right? It's always flowing, always moving, always coming in. And that's that's because of recruiting. And, you know, as I look at the the last few months that have been the the first of the Dan Lanning era for for Oregon football it kind of feels like he's been there for longer because there have been so many good things that have taken place. And it feels like, you know, he and the staff have really settled in. What's been your, your reaction to how they've been recruiting and getting guys, you know, like going back to Jaleel Florence or Josh Connerly, Kyler Casper, Ashton Cozart, they flipped from Oklahoma. What, what's kind of been your, your takeaway seeing all those commits come through the Ducks? Well, again, I, I think there's so many moving parts because of the coaching staff changes. And you're going to see this kind of filter out where you're going to be able to have these guys come in now and really make their stamp in the recruiting trail like you said it feels like Lanning's been there here, here a long time now I I think the 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 future is so bright with Oregon and they're recruiting and I think that what you have right now is you have people who are really committed to it you basically built a complete staff just dedicated to recruiting far far exceeded the days of Mike Bellotti where they would have you know you're maybe a couple three people working on sending out the envelopes collecting different things coming through the office you know, now it is a completely full-blown entity inside of uh, Oregon football. And it you've has got to be multiple, so sorry to cut you off real quick, but you've got multiple full-time employees behind the scenes who are on recruiting. You've got a director of player personnel. You've got a chief of staff. You've got a recruiting coordinator. Like you just have, you just have so many more people from, from back then compared to what there is now. I think that's a great point. Uh, oh, absolutely. And, and it's evolved. And it's the lifeblood of your program. And, and if you don't have recruiting, you are completely done. There are always going to be enough kids to be able to fill out a roster and be able to go and compete. But if you want to compete at the highest level, you have to compete 365 days a year. And if you're not competing with these guys on the recruiting trail, uh, then you're not they're not going to be competing with them during the regular season. So I really like where they've gone with it. Uh, you know, it, it's exciting to see basically every kid come through is a four star, you know, obviously those, those are big numbers, but it's really important how they translate. And, uh, I've always kind of had one foot in and one foot out with recruiting because I'm a little hesitant because I've seen guys get a lot of hype in their high school career, come into Oregon or come into any program and not really translate. So let them get the jersey on. Let them get here. Let them get a, a, a position, and we'll see how they do. But 
I really like what they've done with the defense, with the offense. It's all built on speed. These guys are all, all their tape is like an all-star tape. You put that thing on and it's just like, get the popcorn ready because you know, this thing is going to be amazing. The huddle just jumps off the page. So obviously it's kind of hard to judge. And then you go to the other tapes uh, where they're in their one-on-ones or in their seven-on-seven drills or in their other sort of stuff where they're up against some of the high-end talent. And then you see them excel there as well. So uh, it's got to be exciting for these guys uh, to be able to kind of pick from some of the best players in the country. And it's also nice that when you look on Twitter, Instagram, or whatever, and you see all these kids put their top 20 or top 10 or top 8 or top whatever, Oregon's always in it. So even if even the coaches have talked about even kids that they haven't really had that much contact with, they're putting Oregon in their top eight or top six, you know. So uh, it goes both ways, uh, and they're both trying to pimp the program. They're both trying to pimp the product, and that's how it is right now, especially with getting the bag and the NIL, and you know, just you're just trying to um, uh, you know get whatever you can out of this situation and try to get yourself to the next level. Everybody at this point at this level. Uh, elite athletes at their division think they can get to the next level. Uh, whether or not they can or not is, is, is to be seen, but they still have that mentality of I'm going to get there. So, uh, you know, a lot of these recruits are looking at a program like Oregon, comparing it to another program thinking, Hey, how can you help me with this, that, or the other? And now you have name image likeness. You have other sort of stuff that you've, that they've proven have been successful for some of these athletes. Uh, the sky's the limit with recruiting. It's just getting started. Yeah, I'm excited to see what they can do in a full class, right? When they're given a full cycle because they came in and they salvaged the class of 2022 in ways that I I just was not expecting, right? If they had not landed hardly any of the guys that that we've been talking about here on the show over the last few weeks, you know, the Josh Connerleys or Jaleel Florence's, Kyler Caspers of the world, all all those sorts of players, Davey Uli, offensive lineman out of the state of Washington, if they hadn't landed any of those guys, I, I wouldn't have been panicking, right? I would have been like, well, would have been nice to get a couple, but it wouldn't have been anywhere near panic mode, you know, and it wouldn't have been like, oh my gosh, why are they not getting it? They should be doing this. A transition year is tough. And so that's why it gives me an extra sense of confidence of like, so if this is what they're doing when they took over midway through, what can they do when they're given a full cycle to go after? And, and by the way, the other thing I like about them, they're going big game hunting. I mean, they, they are in there with the Alabamas and the Georgias and uh, now the USC's of the world and uh, all, all sorts of SEC caliber players like Jaden Wayne, like David Hicks, like Josh Connerly as well. I mean, they are not, you know, they're, they're shooting for the moon. They're, they're, they're shooting for the moon with those sorts of recruits. And that's the kind of standard that I want them to hold. Oh, absolutely. And I think you also, now that you're in this situation where the transfer portal is so easy accessible, that's part of recruiting just as much now. So now it's like you've got your recruiting slash transfer portal, and they've been very active there. Caleb Chapman, they're getting guys that are going to play right away. Casey Rogers, Marquise Irving. I mean, they're getting guys, obviously, you know, Chase Cota had a huge spring game. You know, Jordan okay. Riley, these are guys are going to play right away. Sam Tamami, you know, uh, Taki, these guys are going to play right away. We, you already talked about Christian Gonzalez. And then you have Bone Hicks, the starting. I mean, so it's like you're, you, 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 one, you're putting position players in place, and then you're putting the freaking quarterback in place. If he comes out and he's your starter, and he comes out and has a great year, 
I mean, this could be the biggest deal of the whole thing. This was the one of the first moves to be made. That's a huge, huge, huge. You can't underestimate the power of these transfers because these are the kids who've already been in a weight program. They're already ready to go on day one versus some of these guys who are recruits. They might take a little while to adjust. Yeah, I mean, we've seen that over the years. And you look at Oregon's roster right now and think about a guy like Avante Dickerson. So he has sparingly seen the field. You know, we're not really sure if he's going to be a big time player. But then you look at him, if you just Google him, you're like, oh, that was like a really highly rated four star recruit. And I think that's a really good thing for Oregon to have those sorts of players waiting in the wings and say like, OK, so a Damon David transfers, but somebody else is going to be able to slide in or DJ James leaves. Who's going to be able to step up? It's like it's Dante Manning. It's Avante Dickerson or, you know, any any, any sort of, of guys who, you know, when recruited or when they committed to Oregon, we're all looking going. Hey, that's that's a nice get, man. I see I see a lot of things here on tape that could, you know, lead to him being a, a really, really solid player. Which teams will they be playing in the future? Uh, it's a little bit up in the air. I'll tell you what I mean. After I remind you, our partners at Battle Line continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments this year, including basketball playoffs, major league baseball scores, go mariners, fights, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. The scheduling change that that could result, and let's start with the division change because divisions don't matter anymore. I think that's a great move. What do you think about saying? Instead of the Pac-12 North winner against the Pac-12 South winner to meet at Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, you're instead going to have the two highest conference winning percentage teams, regardless of, of which division they're in. I'm a fan of it. I think everybody's going to go that way because we're starting to see kind of how ridiculous divisions are. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was willing to go with the, the division. I was excited for those matchups that you get to kind of have every year. They're kind of dependable and whatnot. And then you just feel like you have to win your division to get a chance to go. But you've seen the matchups there and they haven't been great. Uh, there's been some years where it worked out right. And then there's other years where it didn't. Now they're going to guarantee that it works out every year. And you're, you're going to want to see a, re, a revenge game. You're going to want to see that team like Oregon had when they played Arizona where Arizona had beaten them, then they get the revenge game. And you knew that it was going to happen. And that was the year that Oregon then went on and, and, and uh, you know, went to the next bowl game that was, you know, a big deal for them. Because, again, these are, these are moments that the Pac-12 needs. The Pac-12 needs to put their best foot forward. They're not in a position right now where they can just, like, depend on the system. They have to do everything they can to kind of mess with the system, to be able to tweak the thing, to be able to get their foot in the door. Because it feels like they're the conference that every other conference is trying to push out on day one. And so uh, to be able to have their best foot forward here, let's say it's this year, let's say it's Oregon and Utah again, and Oregon wins. That's a huge storyline. And if Oregon has a great year and they maybe only have one loss and they get that win, uh, and then and then at, at that point would they have to beat Utah twice, like just like they, Utah did this year? I mean, that storyline is big, right? Let's say Utah wins it again and they beat Oregon twice. Or let's say they beat Oregon once, they play USC again or something. USC has a banner year, whatever the case may be. I just think that right now the conversation is wide open instead of when it's kind of hemmed in and you know that Oregon's probably going to represent the North and you then you have to see who's going to represent the South out of Utah uh, and USC maybe going in this year. You always have an up-and-coming team nobody expects and you always have a team that's going to be exciting that's going to come through the ranks and going to be there. It's whether it's Washington State 
or whether it's Arizona State, you know, whatever the case may be. So I, I, I like the idea. Uh, I also like the idea of future scheduling. I, I know that early on when they made the Pac-12 from the Pac-10, Oregon schools especially, we wanted to keep the connection to an L.A. school. And on the football side, we wanted to keep a game against the L.A. school every single year. Either it was on the road down there or it was at home, but we played a flip schedule with the L.A. schools. I don't know if that's going to be something that they're going to still try to hang on to because it would be nice to be able to have that consistency. It, would, it wouldn't be great for the program to miss two or three years in a row maybe of not going to L.A. or not playing an L.A. school. I think it would be better for the conference to be able to schedule games that actually make sense, like have Oregon play USC this year when they both look good going into next year, right? Instead of them having, instead of Oregon having to go play Arizona State in a game that might be as uh, you know um, less less meaningful for a TV schedule. So I think they're going to really go to a, a a new type of scheduling. George Kliakoff has said it right away; he doesn't like the long term scheduling. He wants to get to a point where you can schedule within a year or two in advance. Uh, and and come up with some of the best matchups we can. That guy is speaking my language in that particular sense because I don't understand college football scheduling as a whole. Let's do a home-and-home in 2028. How in the world do you know that that team, that program, is going to be good in 2028 and that it's a non-conference game you will want to have? How could you possibly know that? Because in 2004... Playing Alabama wouldn't have meant anything. But eight years later, in 2012, it's a little bit different. I, I am a total fan of doing it on a yearly basis because, and I've talked about this before on, on Locked On Pac-12, which I host, which is on YouTube and anywhere you get your podcasts as well. If you're looking at it from Klyovkov's perspective, you need to create the biggest matchups possible. To do that, you have to put your best teams against one another. Go look. I was looking the other day and talking yesterday about uh about the usc matchups that oregon has had over the years but look at how many years they've missed in, in the last like i think it's eight years oregon and usc have played like four times or it's, it's something of that sort where we would miss usc two years in a row if you're looking at it from a conference perspective that's unacceptable that's absolutely unacceptable and and also from an oregon fan's perspective i want to play usc when they are good a I like big time games. Is it more nerve wracking? Will we lose sometimes? Yes. But when you win, it does so much for your program to be able to win a game like that. I mean, going down in, you know, 2010, winning that game in the Coliseum or 2009 on Halloween night with Masoli and LaMichael running wild, th those sorts of stuff. Those are some of my favorite Oregon moments ever. But you can't have that if you're just not playing USC. I mean, I, I don't know if a lot of Oregon fans are agreeing with this perspective by the time this this episode drops and, and we're recording and whatnot or not, but I want to play USC every year. I, I do, even with Lincoln Riley there, because I want our program to be at the sort of level where we could beat Lincoln Riley, and I want our program to get the sort of recognition to where maybe game day is coming to Eugene or game day is going to the Coliseum. Like, I, I'm all about that smoke, Ryan. I don't know about you. I agree. And I, I, I think you should have the best teams play the best uh, teams all the time for your conference. I think it's a waste. Uh, but I also think that there's, you know, there's no truck stops out here as Bill Walton says, right? So <laughs> the idea is, you know, uh, you got to play that game against Colorado and you got to win and you got to play that game against Washington state and you got to win. And you might not like that game. Now, he, you know, the other thing is, is I, I would love to see there just be a little bit more consistency across the country. 
You know, right now we play the nine conference games. There's other conference play the yeah. eight conference games. Play I'd nine. like to see some consistency across the board there. I'd love to see the whole country play that nine conference. Or if you play the eight conference, make it a connection with the Alliance so that you have a Big Ten team uh, automatically connected in there, ACC team automatically connected in there. We knew that the Alliance would help us with scheduling in the future. But again, when is that? 2024 to 2042? Like, what are we doing here? But the ideology would be that if you can have maybe drop one of your conference games and then play a non-conference game against another quality opponent from another conference, that might do something as well to kind of bolster the opportunities, bolster that kind of, you know, RPI or whatever else you're looking for. Because again, everything's a metric now. It's all about what, how many eyeballs you can get on it, how many different, uh, uh, you know, advertisements you can get on it. Uh, and then obviously what it does for the program, what it does for the conference. Yeah, I, I am of the opinion that it should be nine games across the board and that you should set it up a little bit like college basketball, where obviously you play more games in, in college basketball, but still the, the idea of it is very applicable to college football, where you have these conference challenges every year. I mean, okay. I mean, imagine if part of the three preseason conference games or non-conference games that you played were part of, you know, you're one of Oregon's one of six or seven schools that's playing a Big Ten opponent. Then you get to measure yourself up. And I, I just I'm I'm all about that. And I understand why some schools want to have like UCLA's non-conference this year is pretty easy. I get the appeal of that, but I don't think you're actually doing as much for your school as you think by winning those games against opponents that, you know, you, you should be able to be. I think it's like Bowling Green, Akron, and, you know, an FCS school or something. And I don't think you should get rid of buy games altogether where you play an FCS school because that's the economic lifeblood for a lot of those programs is the ability to, to do that. It, it gives them a bunch of money. But I, I think that there's so much, to, you know, if I were commissioner of college football, there would be there would be a great many changes, but the first one would be with regards to to scheduling. And I, I just think that everyone should play nine game conference schedule. And then one of your three non-conference games, you, you should be playing a big time opponent or at least someone from a major conference. Right. Oregon State doesn't have to play Ohio State every other year, but they should be able to go and play a Purdue pretty regularly. I agree. And, and I think that now the size of these conferences as well, they have to play nine games. You, you play eight games. You're never yeah. going to play some teams in your conference. You play the 16 team conference. There's going to be teams you'll never play. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's insane to think about that. Uh, I, I love that aspect. I think that uh, the, I love the, the, the kind of red light, yellow light, green light system for the, you know, you have that one game where everybody's gifted that one game, you play your interconference and every year Oregon plays Portland state or whatever case I like to keep the money in house. I like, I'd rather have them play Portland state than have them play Eastern Washington, but whatever the case may be, uh, let Washington play Eastern Washington, keep the money in house. Because again, you know, if people don't realize that, that that money trickles down and pays for everything. It pays for the travel for that entire year for that school. Yep. Then that school pays another school that's lower than them. And that pays for their travel for their hires. So it's a total yeah. trickle down effect that lubricates the whole system. So you have to keep that system into it, especially now people are making more money. But I think a big point is, you know, historically teams made a lot from the bowls. Conferences made a lot from the bowls. Now it feels like they're making more from these early games where you get the big television dollar number. Chick-fil-A kickoff. Exactly. Exactly. So now people are in it from a bunch of different standards and saying, okay, well, I can get more eyes on this thing early in the season when people are excited about this rather than maybe at the end of the year, hopefully, 
that they get it out of that at the, at the end because the bowl viewage has kind of gone down a little bit. But, uh, viewership has kind of gone down a little bit over, you know, the people have less been excited about it because of the playoff. Now all they do is they watch the four-teamer and maybe the Rose Bowl or maybe the Sugar or something, but they basically just watch the four-teamer and that's it. They don't really watch the Bahamas Bowl or the, you know, uh, it, uh, Weed Eater Bowl, the pull-on Weed Eater Bowl. That was the, the bowl we, we bowl. were in. The Cheez-It Bowl, right. You know, Independence Bowl, all these kind of bowls. You know, and, and historically, I really liked all those because that was gave it a chance for a team to go out and win at the end of the year. There was always a nice swag package. There was always kind of a nice kind of kick down, uh, you know, from the, uh, you know, uh, boosters or anything else. There was always kind of a, the sweet events that happened at those games. It feels like now less people are going to those. I mean, even, you, you know, you look at some of the bigger bowls uh, that used to be really big. You go and look at the pan in the audience. There's not that many t- people there anymore, unless it's an SEC thing is down there. So. I think the future of it is these preseason non-conference when everybody's excited about it. You kind of flip it the other way and you turn all that bowl excitement into September and when people are really still excited about it and you get great quality matchups and you could have two or three matchups a week that are absolutely dynamite and you do like the NFL does where you stagger those out on your Saturday and you let everybody watch on that Saturday some seriously good football. This is the uh, official platform of the McLaughlin Winter College Football Commissioner's <laughs> yeah. uh, Office <laughs> ticket. I'll be a so, secretary of some sort. Secretary please, of... Yeah, please, please do give, a, give us your vote. Ryan Winter, <laughs> Sports Chat 503. Check him out on Twitter and on YouTube. We bring him on all the time. And if you listen today, you know exactly why. Great to talk to you, Ryan. Thank you so much. I'll be secretary of beverages. I'll keep everybody... <laughs> That's a, that's a golf coach, man. I'm like a soccer mom out there. Spencer, can't <laughs> thank you enough, dude. You're the man. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for making this your first listen. Go make Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day where I'm talking about all things Conference of Champions. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.